Good morning, church. Please turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Luke 1. You might wonder, well, where did that new tradition you're trying to lead us into come from? Uh, Some of you will remember last week when I came up, like one person clapped for me. (laughs) And feeling sorry for me, we reviewed our transitions into the messages. And that's where it led us to think, you know what? It's not really about welcoming the guy up there as much as it's about preparing our hearts for God's word. And so we don't need to have that. What we need is to have that moment of word preparation. And so I hope that, I hope that, that tra- this transition always fills you with anticipation for the word that is about to be preached and read. We are in Luke chapter 1. Uh, as Bert explained earlier, Advent is a way Christmas or Christians have marked the Christmas century. Or, oh, good grief, I can't speak. <clears throat> You'd think I'd preached already once today. Advent is a way Christians have marked the Christmas season for centuries. Uh, the word Advent comes from, is derived from a Latin word that means coming. And so Advent marks the day leading up to the coming of Christmas, the coming of Christ, his birth. This year, we are marking the coming of Christmas with an Advent sermon series that we are beginning today and will end the Sunday after Christmas, which happens to be January 1st, by the way, so we'll ring in the new year together as well. Well, this series is going to be drawn from the first two chapters of Luke, which records for us four songs about Christ's birth. Luke gives us four, you might say, four Christmas carols, the first four Christmas carols about the coming of Christ. The first of these, the one we'll look at today, was sung by Jesus' mother Mary. This is sometimes called the Magnificat. My soul, she sings, magnifies the Lord. The second is a song sung by John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, a mute priest whose tongue is loose to sing the Benedictus, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. The third comes from the angels who lit up the night sky near Bethlehem singing the Gloria to some very frightened uh, shepherds uh, and maybe frightened sheep as well. Uh, They sang glory to God in the highest. And then finally, the fourth song is sung by the old and devout Simeon who, having waited patiently for the coming of the promised Messiah, took the newborn Christ into his hands and sang the Nunc Dimittis, that is, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. These four songs will be the focus of our Advent series, which we have called the Songs of Advent, and the title of our sermon today is simply Mary's Song. Mary's Song. Now, last week, I warned you against celebrating Christmas on autopilot, that we can go through the motions, uh, not really paying attention, distracted from Jesus as we're kind of distracted by the busyness of the season and by the parties and the gifts and the decorations and, and all of that. And so what we really need to do is to be dialed in. We need to be intentional with how we celebrate Christmas. We need to be intentional to remember the story of the nativity and, and to wonder at the incarnation. Another danger we have to guard against at Christmas is familiarity, being familiar with Christmas. Uh, This is, this year, my 40th Christmas celebration. 
and it is my 21st as a Christian. And so I know the Christmas story very well. I know the significance of Christmas, and yet I can be dull to the wonder of Christmas. How can that be? How can I be dull to the wonder of the incarnation? How can we be dull? Well, familiarity breeds what? What does familiarity breed? Contempt, disregard, apathy, indifference. And so wondering at Christmas, marveling at it, means we have to work to stir up wonder in our hearts. We have to stoke the fire. One day we're not going to need to do that. One day we'll meet Jesus face to face. One day sin will be no more. One day this world will be new. It'll be like it's decked out for Christmas every day. One day it's going to be great, and we won't have to stoke anything. It'll all be alive inside of us. But this side of heaven, while we're still here, while sin still infects all of us, We've got to stir up the wonder that we should have over Christmas. We've got to fuel our fascination. And so my prayer is that this sermon studies, this series studying the songs of Christmas, these Christmas carols, will stir up in us fresh wonder. They will even maybe ignite in us new and fresh joy for the gift of Jesus Christ. Now today we are devoting our attention to Mary's song in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. Mary sings the first of the four songs. This is a holy hymn. And in an interesting book uh, about the songs recorded in Scripture, uh, author and theologian James Watt compares the function of songs in Scripture, these songs that we come across in Scripture, to, he compares them to Broadway-style musical theater. And he compares them in this way. James Watts writes, In contrast to the prose dialogue, which is spoken between characters and passively observed by the audience, the songs are often performed facing the spectators and addressed to them, establishing a more direct rapport between actors and audience. The most successful numbers may elicit such a positive reaction from the spectators that they become show stoppers, literally bringing the action to a momentary halt while the audience registers its approval and occasionally prompts a repetition of that song. My wife and I once had the privilege of attending uh, an opera at the New York Met. Uh, We had been to an opera before. Between you and me, we didn't like it. Sorry for all you opera fans, but we had a chance to go to New York and we thought, let's give opera one more chance. We'll go to the best. We'll go to the Met. And it was better. (laughs) It was impressive. But there was this one part where this man just sang this solo. And I don't know if I've ever experienced, it stopped the show. Like, and you know, we don't know anything about opera, and we could just tell we're witnessing something here unusual. And the whole opera just stopped as people jumped to their feet in the middle of it and just roared approval. And they made him come back out and sing it again. And then they tried to make him do it again, and he had to come back out and apologize. And he said, basically, like, the show must go on. 
and we were sitting next to these people who had uh, you know season tickets, and they said, "This never happens. You don't do this in opera. This never happens." And so what a gift for Jenny and I to experience that. And, and friends, I find that comparison that James Watts makes and my experience, and maybe you've experienced something like it, I find that helpful in preparation for listening to Mary's song. Her song brings all the preceding action of Luke chapter one. And there is some serious action we're gonna see happening here in Luke chapter one. But Mary's song brings all that action to a momentary halt. Her song is a show stopper. It stops the show and it engages us one-to-one. As we overhear Mary exalt the greatness of God and rejoice over her lowly estate, Mary is in effect inviting us through this, she's inviting us to join with her in singing. Her song becomes a sing-along song. She wants us to add, God wants us, by including this in Holy Scripture, to add our voices to Mary's song and sing this song of praise as our own song. So let's give special attention now to the reading of God's Word, to the reading of the, the section before this song, and then especially to this song, because God wants to ignite a song in us this Christmas. We're looking at Luke chapter 1, and we'll begin reading back up in verse 26. Please follow along. This is what Holy Scripture says. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, For you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, The child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. 
Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Lord, we ask that you now bless the preaching and the believing of your word. Well, the prelude to Mary's song begins with two very happy and two very unexpectedly pregnant women coming together. Verse 39 tells us that Mary traveled with haste to Elizabeth's home. Did you ever notice that there before, that she traveled with haste? She was in a hurry. She had to get there. And the haste with which Mary traveled was due to the visitation of the angel Gabriel back in 26, verses 26 through 38. In those verses, Luke tells us Mary is betrothed to Joseph, which means she was probably only a young teenager. She was probably only between the ages of 12 and 15, if you can wrap your mind around that. Mary is just a a young girl, maybe in 7th or 8th grade. She's newly engaged, And Luke tells us twice in this passage, and she says it too, that she's a virgin. So Luke brings that word out several times as if to underline it for us. This is really important. Uh, If you remember from Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol, uh, it opens with that great statement, Marley was dead to begin with. There is no doubt whatever about that. 
And then he goes on and talks about how, you know, he's dead as a doornail, right? And, and then the narrator says, this must be distinctly understood or nothing wonderful can come of the story I'm going to relate. You had to get this if you're going to appreciate everything incredible that comes next. And in a similar way, uh, Luke is telling us Mary was a virgin to begin with. There's no doubt whatever about that. And this must be distinctly understood or nothing wonderful can come of the story I am going to relate. So he tells us, Mary's a young girl. She's only just engaged, still a virgin, when suddenly an angel appears to her. Suddenly a messenger from God comes with incredible news. He comes with unimaginable news. He comes with something impossible almost to believe something inhumanly impossible or humanly impossible is going to happen to Mary. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon her. The power of the Most High is going to overshadow her and she will conceive in her womb and bear a son, a holy offspring who is the Son of God, the long-awaited Savior, King of Kings, and he shall be called Jesus. Now, I'm sure at first Mary was excited to hear that she was going to have a baby boy. Oh, that sounds good. Great. Okay, thanks for that. But then when she found out, oh, I'm going to conceive as a virgin, and this, this baby boy is going to be the Savior? I mean, can you imagine a 7th or 8th grader trying to, like, think about that? It's not like, what am I going to wear today? It's not like, oh man, I, I've got a quiz coming up. I've been chosen by God to bear his son miraculously. And Gabriel tells her, the sign for you, so that you know this is all true, the proof of this prophecy will be this, verse 36 and 37. Behold, this is what you need to look for, Mary. This is what you need to see. This will be the sign for you. Behold, see this. Your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Elizabeth's pregnancy is the sign, and that's why Mary travels with haste to get to Elizabeth's home, because she wants to see the sign of everything the angel has just told her was going to happen. Can you imagine the angel visiting? I mean, when the angel was gone, you'd be thinking, am I losing it? Did that just happen? Can that be true? Is this really about to happen? The only way I'm going to know is if I get to Elizabeth's house. So she makes her way to Elizabeth's house in haste. Now this would have been a three or four day journey for a very young girl, but that doesn't stop her. She's got plenty to think about. 
She doesn't have to worry about robbers or anything because she was just told by God that she was going to bear his son. So she's, I, I'm probably safe, she's thinking. I'm probably going to be good. Like, he's got me. So she makes her way with haste to Elizabeth's house. She hurries there. And when she gets there, she greets Elizabeth. Hey, Lizzie, what's up? It's me, Mary. And a rapid series of remarkable events unfolds. First, verse 41 says that John leaped in Elizabeth's womb. Now, this word leaped is used in Psalm 114 to describe mountains skipping in the presence of God. So this isn't just a little like, boop, boop. you know, this isn't like a roll. This is like, this is a serious kick that has happened here. John is skipping along inside Elizabeth's womb. This is a mighty leap. And this is because John is already in the womb beginning to fulfill what he was conceived to do, which is to lead people to Jesus. And so he's already saying, hey, mom, 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 he's here. The Christ has come. Next thing that happens, Holy Spirit, uh, Holy Spirit fills Elizabeth. So he gives her eyes to see. He gives her eyes of faith to see what John can perceive in the womb. The Spirit gives her uh, eyes of faith to see it and to believe it and to proclaim it. And so another prophecy comes and is spoken over, uh, over Mary. And we're going to see that in just a minute. But the third thing that happens, you could almost miss this, but Luke doesn't want you to, because in verse 42, he, he repeats something again. Remember repeating, that's like underlining something. He, he repeats something again. Note this in verse 42, he says, and she exclaimed with a loud cry. Well, you only need one of those phrases there, Luke. You don't need both unless you're really trying to make a point. You know, so more literally, it says, she cried out loudly with a loud shout. So the one whose husband is mute, the one who has hid herself away for six months, hiding what God is doing in her, living a secluded life, a quiet life, seeing Mary and understanding who Mary is now carrying, she can't help but cry out loudly with a loud shout, Ah, blessed are you! I just killed everybody on the live stream too, sorry. <laughs> but I'm just being faithful to the text. Expository preaching. Blessed are you among women. Can you imagine Mary... She hasn't told her anything. She hasn't related anything. She just greeted her. And the first thing she hears is a prophetic confirmation over her. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Forget who's in Elizabeth's belly. Forget her miraculous conception. This is the one that matters. For behold, when the sound of you greeting, your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So by the work of the Holy Spirit, Elizabeth perceives that the saving plan of God, the salvation from God is coming through Mary. It's coming through Mary, and more specifically, it's coming through Mary's baby. Elizabeth concludes by commending Mary's faith and friends, we should, we should hear that commendation. Mary is staggering in that regard. She is a model for us in faith, in her trust of God, her submission to God, her obedience to God. Mary is a model believer. That's what she is for us. She's not, as some have entitled her, Mary Queen of Heaven. 
Roman Catholics have called her that. There's a church down in Orlando, Florida, where uh, we always drive by on our way to the pastor's conference every year. Uh, it's, it's called, it's huge, it's right by the, the interstate, Basilica of Mary, Queen of the Universe. Uh, nope. <laughs> it's just, just not, not accurate. Um, that's not correct. She, she is to be admired, but she is not to be venerated. She's not to be worshipped. She is not an object of adoration. On one occasion in Scripture, a woman tried to do the same thing. In Luke chapter 11, uh, in the middle of a crowd, a, a woman cried out, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. And that's partly true. Mary is blessed. She's blessed among women. Uh, but Jesus perceived what she was really doing here, what, how she was venerating, she was lifting up Mary too highly. And so Jesus immediately replied to her, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. You want to learn a uh, lesson from Mary's life? She shows you the path of blessing. Those who hear the word of God and keep it. Mary is a model believer. Mary believes the good words Elizabeth speaks over her. Mary believes the prophetic leap of John in her belly. Mary believes the good news Gabriel shared with her. Mary believes the sign she now sees that Elizabeth is indeed carrying a child. Mary believes that the Holy Spirit has come upon her, that the power of the Most High has overshadowed her, that she has conceived in her womb, and that this child she carries is the Christ, the Son of the God. Mary believes... And <coughs> Excuse me. And now turning to us, now directing her attention to us and addressing us directly, the prose conclude, the narrative ceases, and Mary sings a show-stopping song. My soul, she magnif or she sings, magnifies the Lord. My soul, she sings, exalts the Lord. It glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. This is a praise song. This is a happy song. It comes from her soul. It comes from her spirit. That means it comes from the center of who she is. She's singing from her heart. And as Jesus would later teach, out, um, teach us, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So Mary is just filled with praise for God. And she sings the praise of God. She sings about his mighty power. Such power has brought forth a virgin conception. She sings about his great holiness, that he and his son are sinless. She sings about his mercy towards sinners. She sings about his everlasting faithfulness. Mary glorifies God, but as she does, she is weaving into this, praise of song, this song of praise two great themes. Two great things, many things about God's character that we might praise, but Mary magnifies the Lord because he lifts up the lowly and he humbles the lofty. Two things really come out about how the Lord interacts with humanity in this, why he should be praised. And the first one, the point one is because God lifts up the humble. God lifts up the humble. The first half of Mary's song is all about God lifting up the humble. 
Mighty God reaches down in mercy and lifts the lowly up into greatness. And Mary is the model of this as well. Look again with me at verses 46 through 50. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Mary is from a small town. She's from a small town so small and insignificant that it wouldn't even appear on most maps of Israel. Mary was poor. Mary was a teenager. Mary wasn't even married yet. And to top all that off by the cultural standards of that day, Mary was a woman. In those days, in that culture you couldn't have gotten much lower than Mary was. She's not someone that if you were going through Judea, you would have picked out Mary to give birth to Messiah. But Mary goes even lower to identify her humble state. She notes an even more significant aspect of why she is lowly, and it's one we share in common with her. Mary is a sinner. She says, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. So here is this devout, this young and godly woman, favored by God, believing in him in ways that we would be hard-pressed to believe. And yet she knew she needed saving, just like everybody else. And wonder of wonders, the child she soon delivers would then deliver her. Mary magnified the Lord because he looked on her humble estate and had compassion on her. He who has mighty has done great things for her, she sings. He's favored her among women. He's put her his own son among, or in her. That one day that son would save her. Mary was blessed by the undeserved favor of a merciful God. And the way God worked in Mary's life is the same way he'll work in our life. Now, admittedly, it's hard to be humble, isn't it? It's hard to be humble. If you don't think it's hard, then you are not humble. All the humble, or potentially humble, recognize how hard it is to be humble. And it is hard to be humble. Perhaps some of you are here with a sense of low estate like Mary. You think, well, yeah, I'm nothing. I am a nothing. Others of you might be here, and you know the right thing to say about humility. You know the right thing to say about humility, right? Like the kind of thing you say when you have slaved over the Thanksgiving turkey, making it the best that you can make it. And you are, you are waiting for people to praise that turkey and to praise you. And when they tell you, oh, this turkey is wonderful, what do you say? Oh, it's nothing. Oh, 
Oh, I'm so glad you like it. It's, 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 it I think it's a little dry. It's been said that true humility isn't thinking less of yourself, but is thinking of yourself less. True humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's not false humility, but it's thinking of yourself less. True humility looks like not an awareness of yourself, as you walk around through life, as you come into church, as you go to work, as whatever, true humility looks like not an awareness of yourself, but an awareness of God and His graciousness to you. True humility walks through life. You want to know what true humility looks like? You want to say, Pastor, how do I test myself to see if I'm truly humble, if I'm a humble person or not? Here it is. You walk through life blown away that God has been so good to you because you don't deserve it. Blown away. That's humility. So evaluate yourself this morning. Think about how you've walked through this last week, this last month. Has your thoughts, has your heart attitude been more like one of, man, I have gotten such a rotten deal over this in my life. Such a rotten deal from my parents, from my school, from my boss, from the government, from God. Or do you think with whatever struggles, whatever suffering is in your life, man, God has been so kind to me. He has blessed me way more than I deserve. Because the latter is the way of humility, and the former is the way of pride. Mary describes her estate as humble, but then look at verse 50 now. Look at verse 50 now. She says, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. The kind of fear Mary is singing about here isn't anxious fear. It's not unbelieving worry, but it's the type of fear in the Bible that accompanies devotion, uh, accompanies godliness and worship. It's that reverential fear. Now, the anxious type of fear comes out, of our, comes out in our life in all kinds of different ways, and some of us more so than in others. For some of us, anxiety is there, but it's buried deeper, and it only comes out occasionally uh, you know, in the most severe crises, in the most severe trials. But for the rest of us, I dare say for most of us, uh, anxious worry hovers right at the surface of our life. Uh, we are constantly aware of our anxiety. Uh, we are aware that we might not measure up, that we're not having enough. We're afraid of missing out, of being on the wrong side of history, perhaps. The fear of disappointing your parents. The fear of being like your parents. The fear of your children turning from you. The fear of your children turning from the Lord. The fear of your friends betraying you. The fear of not having any friends. The fear of being without a job, being without money, being without purpose, being without respect, being without health. We all have fears. But the Bible tells us the only healthy fear is a fear that begins with God. 
If true humility says, God has blessed me more than I deserve, then healthy fear says this, God, you're God, and I'm not. God, you're in control, not me. God, you call the shots, not me. God, you know what's best, not me. Now that can sound kind of simple to say, but, but actually, is there anything harder to say? Most of you here today are parents. And so you can imagine the difficulty with which your children respond to you in this way, right? Like how hard is it when you're correcting your kids or when you're parenting your kids or instructing your kids? You know, how often they turn to you and say, Dad, your way, not my way. Mom, you know best, not me. Dad, you're in control. Not me. I mean, no, every fiber in the kid is like, no, I'm in control. Warring against you, right? It's difficult for them to say it to us as parents. Could it be that God has given us children to illustrate and remind us how difficult it is for us to say it to our Father in heaven? Let that give us compassion for our kids and their struggle with it. But let it also humble us. How easy it is to not have a righteous fear of God. But the promise of God is that he gives mercy to those who fear him. He's mighty. He who is mighty gives help to those who honor him. He has compassion on those who put him first in their thinking and in their heart. James 4.10 promises us, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. He lifts the lowly. He did so with Mary. And I want you to see also the promise that he gives in verse 53. In verse 53, he says, He has filled the hungry with good things. Now, the hunger here isn't the one for food, but is what Jesus talked about when he said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. The Lord satisfies those hungry for himself. Christmas is coming up. In case you didn't know that, you missed it somehow. Christmas is coming up. It's coming fast. Can you believe like two weeks away? Two weeks, two weeks away. Woo! In you right now, either you got really excited or you got really scared. Two weeks away. Two weeks away. It's only two weeks away. And listen, so here's the thing. Sorry to be a Debbie Downer for a minute, but this is the truth. It's going to come here real fast, and then it's going to be over real fast. It's going to come, and then it'll be gone. You'll, you'll open that last present, or you'll watch your kid open that last present, and it'll be over. And I think it's just one of those places in life, just one of those places that signals to us that there are so many things in this life that do not satisfy, that do not live up to their hype because we were made to be satisfied from things beyond this life. These things are shadows. They're good. They're fine. They're great. We rejoice in them. They're gifts from God. But they point on. They point beyond. 
We're to hunger and thirst, not for this, but for God. The humble hunger for God, the God-fearing thirst for God, and they are satisfied. They're filled with good things. And so, again, I invite you to evaluate yourself today. How satisfied are you? How satisfied are you in this life? If you're not living a satisfied life, it must be because, it must be because, the fault is not in God who feeds the hungry, who gives them good things, who fills them up with good, the fault is not in God, the fault must be in us, that we are snacking on this world, that we are feasting on the American dream, that we are loving the things of this life, and they just are never satisfying us. But those who hunger for God are satisfied. They're filled with good things. The Lord sees to it. This is the first part of her song. The way of the humble, the Lord lifts up. God lifts up the humble. But then the second half of the song, point number two this morning, is God humbles the lofty. God humbles the the lofty. The same God who lifts up the humble also humbles the proud. And in the second half of her song, Mary praises God for bringing down the mighty. So look with me at verses 51 through 55 again. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Mary uses three words here to describe the lofty. First, in verse 51, she talks about God scattering the proud. God scatters the proud. This sort of pride is the kind of pride, the kind of thinking that thinks highly of oneself. This kind of pride is the way of thinking that others ought to respect me. Others ought to respect me. They ought to respect me for how I look. They ought to respect me for how I work. They ought to respect me for how I parent, for how I manage my life, for how I live my life. We wouldn't normally say this out loud, but a proud person is someone who is impressed with themselves. A proud person is someone who is impressed with themselves, but in the end, they will find God is not impressed with them. And he scatters them. A second word Mary uses in verse 52, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones. The mighty, the powerful, the capable. The mighty in this verse are those who think, I can do this. I've got this. I can make this happen. I can pull this off. I am able. There are a lot of ways we can get power in this life. You may not think of yourself as a person who wants much power. I'm not, I'm, I'm not looking to get into politics and get power. I'm not looking to you know, run a Fortune 500 company and have power. Like That's not me. But there are many ways we go after power in our little lives. Being successful can get you power. Good looks can get you power. High grades can get you power. Being successful with your children, being a successful parent, 
can get you power. Popularity is a power grab. In our day, victimhood can get you power. But Mary's saying, if that's what you're holding on to, if that's your identity, if that's what you're trusting in, you're claiming to have a throne, you're claiming to be mighty, but in fact, you are not in a good place when the Lord comes to reverse everything because God tears the mighty down. And then third and final, third and final word she uses in verse 53, she says, the rich he has sent away empty. The rich. We've already seen hunger means something other than want for food. And likewise, rich here refers to more than just material wealth. It's not less than that, but it is more than that. There is a great danger in material wealth because you can go through most of life thinking you've got all that you need. The danger in material wealth is to think, I've got everything in this material world that I could need. And that is a great and grave danger. But Mary is talking about the root of that kind of danger. She's talking about something deeper than that. The rich are those who think they have in themselves all that they need. They think of themselves, in themselves, I've got what's needed. And you see in this some overlap, I think, with the other two as well. Remember Christ's warning to the church in Laodicea. Revelation 3.17, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. The rich feel independent, they feel self-sufficient, but the rich are unaware of their true need, and God will ultimately send them away empty. So friends, Mary magnifies the Lord because he lifts up the humble and he humbles the lofty. This invites us to consider ourselves this Christmas season. Are we low or are we lofty? Are we humble or are we proud? Are we believing or are we unbelieving? Christmas is the great reversal. It's the beginning of the great reversal. Already in our passage, we're seeing barren wombs are growing babies. A humble maidservant has been made the mother of the king of kings. Already the humble are being lifted up and exalted, and already the schemes and the ways of the proud and the mighty are being broken down and brought low. Why is this happening? Why is this great reversal begun? Because Jesus had already come conceived in Mary. Christ had come into the world and he would turn upside down the world in order to set everything right. Will you let Christ do this for you this Christmas? Will he let you be turned upside down so that he can set everything in your life to right? Will you repent of your sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation? Will you stop pining after this world, desiring the things of this world, and desire Christ, the gift given from heaven? If you are convicted in this sermon today over your pride or lack of humility, will you repent of your sin and believe again that God's promise is to lift up the humble? Will you humble yourself? and trust God to exalt you. 
In conclusion, let us consider, Mary is rejoicing over Jesus' miraculous conception and his soon-to-be birth. Her spirit rejoices because God, her Savior, has come. But we, we can rejoice today with an even greater joy than she had because we have seen and know more than she Not only has Christ come at Christmas, but Christ has gone on from there to die at Easter, to be raised again, and Christ is now seated at the right hand of the Father. The great reversal did begin with Christ coming into the world, but it didn't stop there. The great reversal continued on throughout his life, and the great reversal reached its culmination when God the Son, who humbled himself to become a man, endured the unimaginable pain of a shameful death on the cross for sinners like you and me. But then God the Father raised him up from the dead, highly exalting him and bestowing on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Do you see the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ? He who is high and exalted humbles himself so that he can then lift up those who are humble. And on his way down to lift us up, Jesus tears down all the lofty. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The way up is down. And the way down is up. Friends, Christmas is about the acts of God on our behalf. It is about the acts of God to reverse the world. It is about the acts of God coming to help helpless sinners like you and me and lift us up. That is what Christmas is about. It is about the act of God in the birth of his son, aimed at the act of God in the death of his son, and the act of God in the resurrection of his son, and the act of God in the exaltation of his son. Christmas is about celebrating the acts of God for sinners like you and me to save us from our sin and lift us up on high. And so we should join with Mary in singing. This Christmas, we should join Mary in singing and make her song my song, her song, your song. May we all sing this song personally. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and for you. And his, or holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Friends, this is the song and the spirit of Christmas. Christ is reversing everything and setting all things right. Let's pray. God in heaven, truly you have done great things for us. You have done great things for us in giving us your son. And we are filled with joy. God, we are filled with joy. I pray that you would renew that joy in our soul and in our heart, not only today, but throughout this Christmas season. May we we rejoice in the God, our Savior. 
And I pray as well that, Lord, you would help us to grow in humbling ourselves that we might experience your great kindness in lifting us up. May we know the mercy of God who in your mightiness bends down to help. God, forgive us our lofty thoughts against you, our rebellious thoughts, our proud thoughts, our lack of fear of you. God, we pray you'd forgive us of all that sin and renew within us a right spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, you may remain seated as we are still, though, going to transition into taking the Lord's Supper. But we're going to have you seated because the band is going to play you a song here in just a minute. Uh, Before they do, let me extend the invitation that all those who believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior are welcome to join us at this table. Whether this church is your home or not, you're welcome to join us. However, if you are not a Christian, if you have not confessed faith in Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior, then we would ask you to refrain from participating. Or if you've not confessed him publicly through the act of baptism, we'd ask you to refrain. Uh, Instead, use this as an opportunity to reflect on why God has brought you here today, what God is saying to you through his word. We believe that God is drawing you to himself just as he has drawn each of us. But we have to admit, we have to confess we are a sinner in need of a savior but we can joyfully proclaim Jesus is that Savior. We hope you'll believe and join us at this table as well. While the elements are being passed out, and you can begin to pass them out, uh, the band is going to sing for us a song for our own prayerful meditation and enjoyment, and then I'll come back up and lead in, in taking the elements.